Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com. That's L-Y-T-E dot Today, the spotlight is on Incubate Next, represented here by two of the four partners and co-founders, Paul Hershenson and A.J. Kang. Otherwise occupied at the time of recording was Matthew Walk and Arabian Prince, a co-founding member of legendary rap group NWA, who's also known as a savvy tech entrepreneur, business mentor, and of course, a co-founder of Incubate Next. Incubate Next provides advisory services, fundraising assistance, and marketing support for select startups working to change lives by developing social impact technology in their communities or the broader world. Learn more about what these guys are up to here. Enjoy our talk. Nice to meet you, Lawrence. I'm Paul. <laughs> nice to meet you, Paul. Um, <laughs> I'm AJ. Nice to meet you, Lawrence. Oh, AJ, there you are. How are you today? Doing really well. That's good to hear. Well, I would love to start with um, getting to know a little bit about each of you individually and then jumping in to the new venture, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, because I, uh, I don't have a coin near me to, to flip, I figured, why don't we go in alphabetical order? And I'll say, AJ, how are you and who are you? <laughs> All right. Well, I am doing fantastic. Any day above ground is a blessed day, I like to say. Um, so, uh, but I'm doing wonderful. A uh, little bit about my background. Uh, I am a high school dropout who had big dreams uh, of, of just getting out and really just trying to go for it. I started out as a salesman in uh, a little company called Thoroughbred Music, which got bought out by Sam Ash Music hmm. and uh, was just a salesman in the DJ room who had the bright idea that he wanted to invent a hip hop drum machine. Uh, and I did that with a company called Zoom Electronics um, years later which uh, I didn't make any money off of, but I got my brand name, Beat Kang, stamped on each one, me and my two partners. Uh, and uh, that led to venture capital investment, which allowed us to start the first Black-owned musical electronics company in history called Beat Kang's Electronics, where we proceeded to develop uh, an award-winning drum machine synthesizer sampler all-in-one workstation called the Beat Thang, uh, and also a beat thing virtual, which is a virtual version of that. That's how I met Paul, uh, because Paul's firm, ArtLogic, is the one that did, designed all the software for beat thing uh, and beat thing hardware. And we stayed in contact over the years. And um, you know, I kind of left the music equipment industry back in 2012 and got really into the cloud technology space. I went to work for a company called e-commerce, which uh, was uh, the parent company of a company called IX Web Hosting. And IX Web Hosting uh, did just cloud infrastructure and things like that. So I, that got, company got bought out by Endurance International Group. 
and I left, um, dabbled in real estate for a little while and then ended up with another uh, cloud technology company doing enterprise software development. And uh, then COVID hit and uh, me and Paul and Arabian and uh, Matthew Walk all kind of just looked around and said, hey, you know, we want to do something with some good, you know, in the world. And so, uh, you know, me and Paul had been kicking around a few ideas and uh, that's how this whole thing came to be. And that's a little bit about my background. And well, before I jump into Paul, I, I have to ask you, um, you know, how does how does one how does one even begin to dream about creating a piece of hardware? It seems so I could understand if you sat down and said, okay, I'm a coder, I'm going to build, I'm going to build some software or I'm a musician and I'm going to self-produce, but how do you get the bug for hardware? Well, it literally was, it started off as a drawing on a piece of paper. Um, and it was just, you know, at the time there was no drum machines that were made specifically for, uh, hip hop and R and B. There was a lot of products that had been adapted to be used for hard, hard uh, for hip hop and R and B, but nothing that was accessible and affordable for you know a beginner starting out that wanted to do this. And this is before software was like the thing, right? This was you know the early two thousands, um, and so uh, it just didn't exist. And I had always been a fan of of hardware and just making stuff, and you know. I wanted to make something that was accessible and easy for a beginner to use, but then also advanced enough uh, for a professional to use. And I accomplished that goal. But what happened is, is we, we ended up being uh, developing this at a time where the industry was transitioning away from hardware and more into software. And so, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I probably would have just focused on the software portion. But when we started the project, software wasn't really a thing at that point. It was, it was hardware driven halfway through the project software became started becoming like the norm and what everybody was, you know, starting to use, but we were already so invested and so deep into the hardware that we just finished it. In, in your opinion, given your background um, in the hardware side of the world and in the DJ side of the world is uh is there a future in hardware or is it just going to be like specialized devices at this point? Do you, do you have any, uh, I'm sorry to go down that rabbit hole. It's just well, talking to hardware people. <laughs> so the crazy part is, is that the hardware that we made the beat thing is actually a collector's item. Now they're going for big money online. And, and I think at some point you'll see a Renaissance where like people want that sound because there's nothing like the sound you can try to emulate the sound of hardware through software, but there's just nothing like, you know, playing vinyl, for example, right? Like that sound is just something about putting the needle on the record and like listening to, to, to Maggot Brain by Parliament. You know what I mean? There's just something about lighting some, some uh, up some Nag Champa and playing some vinyl and, or, you know, the, the tube of a, of a Avalon preamp or, you know what I mean? It's like, you can try to recreate that via software, but there's something about that tactile uh, touch. So I really feel like hardware at some point will will have its like its uh, renaissance, right? Um, and you know, I guess I'll use your podcast to leak my next project. I'm actually working on a hardware software product. I'm not willing to tell what it is yet. It has nothing to do with making beats, but it is absolutely going to shake up the entire music equipment industry. Um, it'll be the most exciting product to to come out in, in a decade. 
and it's really going to push the envelope. And I plan to rock the boat very hard uh, in the MI space once again. Uh, it'll be about a year from now before you see it, but uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely in the works. All right. Well, we're going to stay in touch on that and have you back. Okay. Time for to, sure. Uh, <laughs> to unveil it. And uh, well, thank you for all that context and thanks for giving me that perspective. Um, how about you, Paul? What's your uh, what's your story, man? Well, I got to say, AJ is a tough act to follow. So that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine, mine's a, a, a little, a little less um, eventful. So I uh, started a company 30, stop. 30 years ago, 31 years ago, called Art and Logic, and we are a custom software shop. We have done just about everything over the years. When we started, um, we were focusing on uh, kind of music tech and uh, kind of audio video um, applications, specifically for the Macintosh. Back in 1991, that wasn't a very good business um, business play, so we expanded and became Windows developers. And that's when we first started to actually get people who were willing to pay us. Um, a few years later, we started doing web development. Uh, about a dozen years after that, we started doing app development. And here we are, all these years later. So we're you know we're still still growing and evolving and doing different things. Um, it's been a a nice stable journey, but it has been a journey. And uh, you know, in the course of uh, operating that business, I've got to meet and know lots of very interesting people. Um, among the most interesting are people like AJ and Arabian and Matt. Um, Matt, uh, I got to know through doing a project for him also, um, and Arabian through the work that we do in music technology. Um, so uh, when COVID hit, you know, it was tough to sit on the sidelines and watch it happen. And uh, we all started talking, uh, you know, how can we get together and try to make a difference, try to make an impact on things. And, um, you know, for the good stretch of time during the pandemic, we pursued things that were related directly to the pandemic. Um, but once the vaccine was approved and it was pretty clear that, uh, you know, the runway for pandemic related ventures was starting to get narrow, we started thinking about, well, what does this look like? What does this partnership look like uh, in a post COVID world? And that's how we came up with the idea for Incubate Next and got started um, with this, uh, this concept, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I promise I'll come back to that in a second. I, I, I just want to ask a couple of questions about um, your background and, and your business. It's so when I was, um, when I was preparing to talk with you guys, um, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say it's, it's pretty impressive and stunning to find um, a company with that longevity. And uh, I was really taken by that, you know, because I've seen, I've seen the, you know, the model of the, the custom development shops and I love the sort of the product development part, helping, helping small businesses sort of get either their MVP or, or even something better into the marketplace, you know, helping them sort of realize their, their, uh, their vision. Um, but that's quite a run. I mean, that, that that's gotta feel good. Um, it, it does. It makes me feel old. Well, <laughs> well, I, I, I guess rationally, I am fairly old, but I don't feel all that old. But when I think about, wow, 30 years, that's a, that is a long time to be doing this. Um, you know, we started, uh, when we started, we, we did get an office and we started as a remote software development company. And in 1991, no one was doing that. We had just had the hardest time explaining to people, hey, we're a real business. We just don't have an office. Um, try, try convincing a bank to loan you money. Um, back then, 
you know, without without having an office where you could where you could meet with them. Here we are, thirty years later, and you know everybody is working remotely, and even the large tech companies are allowing their workers to work remotely. So that's not anything that's that's different any longer. But as far as I know, we are the oldest and longest continuously operating remote software company out there. There may be someone else. I've never heard of them. I'd be curious to, to, they'd be kindred spirits. So I'd love to meet them if they're out there, but we don't know them. What, um, what technology were you leveraging 30 years ago to stay connected and to, and to collaborate remotely? I mean, (laughs) other than pigeons. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, we we managed to avoid the owls and the pigeons, um, but we used telephones and we would, Telephones. The phone a lot. We used <laughs> telephones. Uh, we had we didn't do video for ages. Um, it, this was it, it wasn't quite pre-internet, but it was um, it was before the internet had been commercialized. So we had a dial-up uh, BBS that mm-hmm. we used as our collaboration software. It's got, you know roughly the equivalent of what Slack is today. Um, you know for for most remote companies, and you know my. I, I was in, lived in LA at the time, and my two partners were in LA. We used to we used to have face to face meetings every week um, for quite a while. We'd do them in hotel bars. I don't know why. I guess we were young. They're there. Um, they're there. It was that I mean, was a good it was a good place. We used to go all over LA, um, and and that was really about it. It was very simple. I mean, um, you know, uh, looking back on how inefficient everything was is is pretty wild. So. Uh, when we hire people or when we recruit people, developers, we send them a programming test that we want them to complete so that we can evaluate their coding skills. Now, of course, we just send an email. Back then, we had three and a half inch floppy disks that we would put the files on and we would stick them in the mail, mail them all across the country, and then you know wait for weeks to get three and a half inch floppy disks back in the mail. And somebody would have to drive over to Sherman Oaks and check the PO box and then drive from Sherman Oaks to, uh, yeah, I was, I lived in the foothills uh, in LA. So, you know, maybe drive from Sherman Oaks to La Crescenta back over to West LA, you know, just handing the floppy disks to whoever was going to review them. It's crazy, but we made it work. It's incredible. Do you, uh, do you have any nostalgia for those days? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, you get us, get us together and give us a beer or two and, you know, we won't shut up about how great it was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess to, to sort of finish up on some of your background, uh, two other quick things. Um, tell me what, a, um, what an MA in computer music is. <laughs> <laughs> so this was back in the early 80s. And it, the, I, I was a music major in college. Um, my dad sent me an article from Time Magazine that really changed my life. It was an article about karma. Um, Stanford's research lab in music and audio. Uh, and I had never even considered the idea that computers could be used to make music. But when I saw that article, it was kind of like very eye-opening and inspiring. And I spent the rest of my undergraduate years, um, you know, in addition to studying music, learning how to program, uh, taking uh, electrical engineering classes so I can learn digital signal processing, um, I never did very well in them because I certainly didn't have the background, but I managed to pass them. So that was an achievement. And uh, when it got to be time to graduate, I, I was looking for, well, how do I do this? How do I 
carry forward with this interest in, in computers and music. And there really wasn't it, that was very little industry. So I looked for a graduate program. There was Karma at Stanford. Um, it was a PhD uh, and I had to get a master's degree before I could go there. So I didn't bother applying at Stanford. Um, the Media Lab at MIT had just opened and I interviewed there and had one of the worst interviews anybody could possibly have. Um, and that left UC San Diego, which had the Center for Music Experiment, which was the, you know, an academic research institute in computers and music. And so that's what brought me from the East Coast out to, out to California to go get a master's degree in computer music. Yeah. I haven't thought about the Media Lab in ages, but there was that sort of span of time during the late 80s through maybe the mid late 90s where it just felt like it was the center of the universe. Um, all it kinds was, of interesting stuff. It was phenomenal. It was really a great place. It still is a great place, I think. But. Yeah. On, a, on a side note that kind of ties into computer music, when we were trying to do the, um, the, the beat machine before we raised the venture capital, I actually connected with Roger Lynn, uh, the inventor of the Lindrum. And we, we have some designs that we worked on together. Never, they never saw the light of day because he didn't want to touch the venture capital side. He's like, you're going down a path you have no idea. And he was right. He, he was right. <laughs> but uh, it was amazing to, to, to get to interact with such a legend in that business. And uh, he's a shout out to Roger Lynn if he ever hears this uh, um, uh, podcast. But, but it, was a, it was a dream come true to work with him. And m my buddy Rev, Cool Rev, one of the other Beat Kangs, uh, actually had the original uh, Lindrum in pristine condition. And we would sit around and, and we actually used that for some of the sound design for, we kind of like hacked it and, and used it for some of the sound design for Beat Kang as well. It was, it was a fun, fun thing to, to work on. I mean, that's pretty cool. That, that's up there with, you know, uh, a furniture designer or like that. That's sort of like the Lindrum is, that's yeah. That's, that's well, a you know, thing. He, 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 he was the, you know, that he started that, that whole sound of, of music. And so to, you know, that was like, if you're a baseball player, it's like getting to work with Babe Ruth. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was just, it was a dream come true. Cause he was a, one of my heroes, um, you know, coming up in the music equipment industry for sure. Yeah. That's really amazing. Um, well, the last thing I want to bother Paul with before we talk about what you guys are up to now is uh, I saw that you did some time in new Haven. <laughs> um that's uh that's my that's where i'm from originally i'm from hamden actually i'm from woodbridge no i grew kidding. up in woodbridge no yeah, yeah i went to, i went to yale but i grew up in woodbridge and, uh, uh, that's amazing so i 20 21 years um you know in woodbridge and new haven before i came out to california and uh, i guess i'm more californian than east coast yeah. at this point but. yeah well people who uh who listen to this uh podcast have to tolerate me i always seek out i or i always tend to find people who have new haven in common um and for somebody that hasn't lived there for really most of my adult life um i have a, I have a very soft spot for new haven i i'm a sort of a new haven partisan um i think it's a great small city um very maligned um unfairly i believe and just uh uh it's got a lot going for it for a little city i really like that town Oh, I do too. It was a fantastic place to, to grow up. So I got to ask you, Sally's or Peppy's? Modern. Okay, that works. <laughs> Modern, Modern's the one I could actually get into. So yeah, Sally's. I mean, I had gun to the head though between those two, uh, probably Sally's. I, I'm, the, the Sally's, uh, the white clam at Sally's is just 
to me, that's that, I, you know, I'm an atheist, but that's why, that's why the creator put us on this earth. <laughs> uh, absolutely with you. We were a Sally's family growing yeah, up. Yeah. So take me through the current venture. You, you mentioned that there's, there's two other partners or founders um, in what you guys are up to. I'd love to know, I'd love to know the story. You know, what's the mission? What's the goals? What's the division of labor amongst the team? What's the model? Like, talk to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll get that started. So um, it's, it's really quite simple. So in, in my line of work, I come across lots and lots of people with ideas. Most of those people have neither the, uh, the money nor the experience to actually make those ideas reality. And it's kind of frustrating because some of those ideas are quite Quite good. A lot of them are not, <laughs> um, but there are some that are really compelling. It's very frustrating to be in the situation where um, we'll say, "Okay, we'll be delighted to develop to develop that app for you, and it's going to cost one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, let's say," and then have them be just, "Well, I can't possibly do that," and you know, those ideas never see the light of day. So that's very frustrating. That's always been a pain point for Art and Logic and an area of frustration for me. Um, so another aspect, Art and Logic's a service business. So we work on projects that our clients choose. Um, of course, there's an element of choosing your clients, but for the most part, we have to pay the bills. We don't say no to very many projects. We do the work that comes to us because that's how we survived for 30 years. You know, when I think about those things together, um, you know, there are people out there with these really great ideas. Um, and some of them ha have the real uh, opportunity to make an impact on the world. And wouldn't it be great if we could help those people both refine their ideas, make them more practical and viable and realistic, and then help them raise the funds to be able to execute it. And what if we were to focus on things that we knew were going to have a positive impact on the world? That's a, very different mindset than what I'm accustomed to from my day-to-day -day life. You know, it's an opportunity to pick projects that we believe in and to help people who need the help to do that. Um, now, I have to say the idea of creating Incubate Next didn't come from me. It actually came from our partner, Matt, who uh, maybe three months before um, we actually made the decision to pivot to doing incubate next kept saying, you know, we should really be an incubator. We should really be an incubator. We should really be an incubator. Um, and then of course, a couple of months later, I had this brilliant idea all on my own that we should be an incubator. And <laughs> I came to the guys <laughs> and said, you know, maybe we should be an incubator. So that's, that's kind of how we, we made that pivot there. Um, so the, but, but anyway, in a nutshell, the idea is, um, the people who want to work with us and that we choose to work with, we are going to help take them from concept to seed funded. And then at that point, um, they're ready to move on to, to be beyond us at that point. I and mean, we may stay involved as advisors, but that's really the, that's, that's where we're focusing on. So concept to seed. And, you know, as that kid who had the big idea, the dream, of you know wanting to create a product and wanting to have a, my own business, I I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, of course, and 
you know, learned a lot just from that journey that, you know, it's one thing to have a great idea, but actually creating a business out of that idea and getting it across the goal line, there's so much that goes into it. And, you know, so I, I had a passion to want to try to help the, you know, young entrepreneurs really accomplish their dreams, regardless of their economic background, right? Because I didn't have any, I started with nothing and was able to, you know, get where I'm, where I'm at. And so I want to share that knowledge and that, you know, just uh, wisdom with other people to help them avoid making the same mistakes that, that I made, uh, you know, starting out. And so, you know, I think that's kind of, aside from picking projects that, you know, really have an impact for positive change on planet Earth, you know, it's also positive impact, you know, from a social standpoint of being able to help people, empower people to, to, to take their ideas and get them where they're, where they're trying to go. Um, you know, anytime that you can invent something and, you know, create economic opportunities, create jobs, that's a positive thing. And so, but there's a lot of steps that have to go into to making a business. And so that's kind of where we all have different levels of expertise in different areas. Um, and so we just want to be a resource that, that uh, entrepreneurs can, can use to, to, you know, facilitate their dreams coming to actual uh, life. Yeah. AJ, let, let me ask you as a follow-up to that. Um, is, it, is it a safe assumption that each of you um, maybe look for something um, specific in an entrepreneur or an idea? Like, is there something that resonates differently for each of you? And, and if that is directionally right, what's the thing you look for? What, what jumps out at you and you say, oh, this is something I need to be involved with? Well, you know, you, you have the, the creativity is something that, you know, the idea has to be there, right? Initially, like it has to be a good idea, but you, you look for people who are going to stick with it and see it through uh, and have the ability to be relentless. And that is <clears throat> something that is, that is a prerequisite for me wanting to get involved with a project. Okay. You have a, you have a great idea, but do you, do you have the stick with itness? Do you have the the drive, the determination? Are you going to get frustrated when things don't go your way and just quit? Right? Like I I want to know that you know if you don't know something, do you are you passionate enough to to go out and learn it? Um, you know and and stick with it. And so that to me that it starts with a great, a great idea, but then you know it has to, you have to have the passion. Um, you know, I look for someone who e- eats, breathes and sleeps, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, and, and that's, that's an important thing for me. I, I, you know, Paul, I'll let you speak for you, but that's definitely what's important to me. Yeah. I'd love to hear your, your sort of perspective on that same question. It's really very similar. Um, the idea has to be solid and practical enough to be achievable. Um, and it has to catch me, you know, they're, they're, I, I hear a lot of ideas, you know, um, yeah. and you just, you can't take all of them on. So there, there really has to be something about the idea that, that's special. Um, but beyond that, um, it, a, a lot of this has to do with the um, kind of character of the founder. It's so hard to start and operate a successful business. And there are so many ways in which um, 
trying to create a, a company challenges you emotionally and physically and uh, makes you question everything that you believe in and what you're, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for somebody who's open to that journey and not closed off. If you think you know everything already, we're not gonna be able to help you anyway, and you're not gonna want our help. You know, so there's sort of an openness to the journey that I'm looking for, where I, I think that, you know, we really can help um, because this person is in a good place to receive the help. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's a really crucial thing. Given some of what you've said, uh, let me ask this. How, how do you, how are you sourcing deals? Like, how do you, because your, your model doesn't, or not your model, but your approach doesn't sound entirely different from how I would characterize you know, any early stage investor, you know, maybe incubation through even an A or B where it's really about the character, right? Of the founder. They want to sit down and look at this person and say, are they going to chew through the wall if they know that the solution to the problems on the other side of the wall, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you hear that sort of over and over again, that they're investing in people. And um, so, you know, how do you guys approach pipeline? How do you know, what's your shingle? How do people find you? Well, so far, um, it, it's been easy. <laughs> um, so partly, uh, you know, we're all actively engaged in lots of things and we meet a lot of people. And so um, some people have come into that pipeline just through personal connections that we have. Um, we launched the website earlier this year, um, did some press around the launch of that website and we've had inquiries coming in through the website um, enough to the point where we're not going to be able to take on anything new for some number of months at this point. So we have, uh, you know, we have the kind of opportunities that are um, slow cooking in the background and should be ready for us when we're at the point with our current projects that we're working on. When those come to a close, we'll be able to move on to those. So um, I think there are a lot of people out there who have ideas and there are a lot of people out there who need money and so far it's not been hard to find them yeah and um uh, you know i have two of the four of you here so i might have to ask you to speak for your your you know the other two uh partners but um how would you um how would each of you describe what you do in terms of the division of labor or your role in the partnership um do you each have a secret sauce or a focus area or you know, how, how do you characterize that? Uh, AJ, you want to take that? Or yeah, sure, sure. And actually, we just uh, we just onboarded a fifth uh, partner named David Richard as well. Um, and so I can even start with him. He's uh, the CEO and founder of Big Fish PR. And his focus is on PR, but he's also an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, just like we are. And uh, so he made, it made good sense for us to, um, you know, bring him on. He was uh, passionate about a few projects and we shared with him what we were doing. He's like, I got to be a part of this. Sounds amazing. So, um, you know, we just brought him on, um, you know, and uh, so his focus, of course, is PR and different things like that. I, I tend to gravitate more towards the sales and marketing side of things. Um, I, I love invention, the invention uh, side of things as well, but I, you know, if I can't sell something or market something, then, you know, what's the point of 
the invention, right? Like I've, it's got to be profitable too. So um, I tend to gravitate more towards the uh, sales and marketing side of things. Uh, Matthew is also a very sales driven, but he brings a whole set of other skills to the table that I know nothing about, which is like FDA regulatory approvals and, you know, bringing uh, medical tech devices to market. And I don't know anything about that world. So, you know, anything med tech or involved in that space, um, you know, he, he kind of takes the lead on, on that um, and, and helping us think about compliance and things like that, right? Like, you know, is this going to be something that's going to be a nightmare to uh, get insurance for, you know, for example, um, is this a product that's going to have a lot of liability or things like that? Matthew really helps us evaluate those type of things. Uh, Arabian is very diverse in what he brings to the table in terms of, you know, he's also, he's like marketing and networking. He knows everybody. He knows what's going on in the tech space out, out on the West coast better than anybody I've seen. And, um, and also just brings that, um, you know, marketability. He, he has a big microphone uh, to the world, right? When he, he can, he can get in front of press. Um, he's on the board of directors for many different companies, advisory boards for many different companies and nonprofits and um, really has, uh, he's really actually having a serious impact on the inner city, uh, you know, in LA there and creating a lot of opportunities for young people there. Um, he's got, you know, kind of a, another incubator that he uh, does in inner city LA um, where, you know, it's creating opportunities for people of color uh, in, the, in the inner city who have great ideas and kind of coaching them. So some of those ideas then hopefully we're going to bubble up and, and, and make their way to the incubate next group. And then, you know, Paul is, Paul is the the Dr. Spock of the group, I guess you will, if you if you want to go to a Star Trek. Whereas I'm more Captain Kirk, uh, Paul is definitely you know the one that, that makes. Does it make financial sense? Does it make economic sense? How are we going to execute this? You know what what's the project plan? How do we you know like that? He's he's the the analytical side of the uh, the the group, I would say. Gotcha. And could you guys? Um... Could you help educate the listener a little bit? Um, I don't want to make too many assumptions here. Um, we could talk about um, incubators as a model in general, or as much as you're comfortable talking about the specifics of how you work. Could you take us through a little bit about what what does an incubator do? What what is, what is the role of an incubator in the um, in the early stage ecosystem for for new companies? And then um, ultimately, what's your, what kind of horizon are you thinking about when you team up with a company? Um, because I would imagine you're doing a lot of work today um, for a potential return after it looks like many, many tomorrows. So could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I think the, the value of the incubator comes down to a, a few really simple things. So there's coaching and mentoring. Um, the five of us um, all have long histories in business. And I hope that um, we're not being too arrogant and thinking that we've accumulated enough wisdom that it would be worth imparting that on people with less experience. So, so the coaching and mentoring, I think, is, is the, you know, real key to it. Um, there's also the Rolodex. Um, AJ is not kidding when he says that Arabian knows everybody. Um, about five different times, I've 
called him up and said, hey, do you know this guy in L.A.? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You want me to introduce you? Um, and for and, uh, an entrepreneur, especially a young entrepreneur, possibly you know, from an underserved community, access to those connections is more valuable even than, than having the capital that comes along later yeah. with that. Um, so it's the coaching and mentoring and uh, in the Rolodex. And then um, the, the pr preparation um, prior to going out and doing outreach to investors. So, so um, we can help the, you know, in, in the way that presidential candidates have to go through intense debate prep, we can help the entrepreneur get ready for those crucial meetings that they are going to have if investors are actually interested in them. Um, and I think give them a much better chance at uh, being successful in those meetings because they will have already been through it with us. So at, at a high level, I think those are, are really the main um, areas in which we are helping people. Um, AJ, did I miss anything? No, I mean, I think you you summed it up great, Paul. I mean, it's really about, it's, it's like, it, it's giving the, the entrepreneur, it is, it's kind of what it sounds. An, an incubator is a great word for it because it, it really is. It's like, there's a lot of things that can, you know, kill a plant in the beginning when it's just a little seedling, right? There's, it needs a lot of nurturing in the very beginning and uh, needs a lot of resources and, um, and kind of covering. Uh, and we help the entrepreneur think about things that they may not have thought about yet. Um, I think that's the main thing is really like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what are you going to do if this happens? And what about that? It's like asking the right questions um, and, uh, and helping them think about, think through some of these, um, think ahead through some of these things and really being just that um, good ground that they can, that can have the seed of an idea and give it the best opportunity to grow, incubating the idea. Right. Um, and, and, I don't think, you know, I, th I look at it as like, we are, we like to become friends with the people that we're working with too, right? Like these are, you know, it's, it's kind of like a little club that we have going on. We, we all have ideas and we like to talk about new things. And when we get excited about the idea that the person has too, then, you know, we iterate on the idea. Like we, we bring other uh, thoughts that they may not have thought of about the idea and the idea becomes stronger and better. And um, like, there's one that we're working on right now that I'm super excited about uh, called mood connect. And we just had this incredible um, brainstorming session where all kinds of great new ideas came out uh, about. And so it's just uh, it's a, it's fun. I think, I think the main thing is, is that we're having fun with what we're doing here and, and we want the people that we work with to have fun as well. And what's the, uh, what's the business model is, do you guys have like a, is there a standard deal or is it negotiable each time or, um, it's forming at this point, we're still early enough that each deal that we've done has been a custom deal. Um, but the, the basic elements are, you know, we, we're working with people who don't, don't have a lot of money or else they wouldn't be working with us. Um, so we're not charging any fees up front. Um, we are uh, taking an equity stake in the entity after, you know, once it's been funded, if it gets funded, um, and also charging a consulting fee once it gets funded and they actually have the money to pay the consulting fee. So those are really the two elements of, of how the business model works. And you're quite right, the equity is going to take a long time to turn around. Um, 
And so, you know, the consulting fees give us operating capital to be able to keep incubate next going and moving forward, basically. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that, um, that I, I would imagine is a challenge is just, you alluded to it earlier, uh, Paul, which is at some point you have to say no um, because of the model, right? Like it, you, you, you could, I would imagine there's, there's, there's just more, there's more fun, interesting ideas and people than there, there is time in the day that you could responsibly budget to it, given that you still have to have a roof right. over your head and support staff and family and et cetera. Yeah, that's, that, that is absolutely correct. So I, it, it, you know, there, the percentage of opportunities I think that we actually turn into active engagements is going to be relatively small and we'll, we'll have to be, that's, that's what it's proven to be so far. Um, and I expect that's just always the way it's going to be. This is not a business that's going to scale, um, very easily. Yeah. And, um, how do you think about, so is there a, um, you know, you've, we've used a lot of, we've used a lot of words that I don't want to leave. Um, I don't want to leave undefined. Right. So we've talked about like underserved communities, um, people that may not have access to capital in other ways. Do you have a demographic profile that you work with? Like, is this a, is this a strict like diversity, equity, inclusion model, or is it, you know, how, how do you approach that and how formal are you and how you think about that? It's not well, a gotcha question, not. I promise. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, it's, we're, we're not terribly formal about anything. So um, it's not strictly a diversity and inclusion project, but I would call it an equity project. That is part of our mission. Um, we've had uh, people come to us with ideas that don't really have any tangible social impact and you know, they're coming from a place of privilege. So uh, we've passed on those. Um, we only have limited amount of time, so we really can't take everything on and we want to make the most impact that we can in the time that we put into it. Um, but I wouldn't, it's, it's, it's not that there's an algorithm that we have. It's really more of a feel and uh, something that we would. We've also had, we, I mean, we've also had people of color that, you know, you know, and who are, are female that have came to us too. And, um, you know, the idea just wasn't there. We liked the person. We, yeah. you know, we love the person. We wish them well, but there was just nothing we could really do with the idea. So, you know, we, we try to, like I said, I, you know, as a person of color, I want to help, you know, it, you know, with that as well as it, as I can, but it, the, it, like I said in the beginning, like the idea still has to be there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're, you guys have really, you're painting a picture for, picture for me that that's super clear now, which is um, it's, it's a combination of the entrepreneur who walks in the door um, as well as their idea. And so it could be demographically, it could be anyone if their idea serves a community or the community 100 could be somebody from the community who has an idea that's maybe for a more broad market and you can in so much as there may end up being an algorithm of paul you know it, it's that it's like we, how, how does it fit within this balance of 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 person and product i guess would be the way or or is it going to be something that creates economic opportunity for, mm -hmm. for people right like is this going to be something that creates jobs 
um, you know, in the community. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, a, that has an impact too, you know? Are you, uh, are, is there anything you're working on that you're comfortable talking about? I, you know, I'm certainly not, this isn't 60 minutes, but, um, you know, do you have any projects that are, that are, that are close enough to being on a screen or out in the wild that you could talk about and hype a little bit? I don't think we do AJ. Um, I, we, we have two projects that are going at the moment and perhaps, um, one or two more that should get into, um, you know, become active soon. I, I don't think we're in a position to reveal much at this point. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll leave it at that. That's cool. Uh, no, I, 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 I wish, I wish we could, cause it would be fun, but I, we have us back in about six months. That's fair. We, yeah, that's fair. Right. Let me ask the question a slightly different way though, because it might be, um, for today's purpose, maybe a more interesting conversation, which is, are there, um, are there segments or, um, areas of activity that either of you are super passionate about or, you know, either from a personal point of view or, you know, your, your, your work background, or just that you're like, wow, man, this is, this is a hot thing. Like I'm really excited to be involved in this area. I can speak to that. So um, one is mental health. Hmm. Uh, we're really interested in that space. Um, the mental health space, obviously, you know, COVID has had a huge impact on the collective psyche of the country and the world, really. And, uh, um, and so mental health, I think, is uh, something that uh, and, and then combining technology uh, and ways to help people improve their mental health and their mental state and emotional state. We're super interested in that space. <clears throat> Another one that um, I'm super passionate about is the cannabis uh, industry. And, um, and I feel very strongly that there should be some, uh, you know, inclusion for people of color in that space. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, marijuana has been used as a way to mass incarcerate, you know, black people for decades. And now all of a sudden you want to legalize it and the the big hedge funds are going to make these, you know, billions of dollars on it. And no, I don't think that, that, that pisses me off, frankly, because it's like, okay, you, you lock us up for selling it and, 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 and smoking it for, for decades. And now all of a sudden with the stroke of a pen, you're going to legalize it and you're going to make all the money and leave us behind. Screw that. That's not going to happen. So that's a, that's a really difficult part of that, you know, of that very welcome change as the world has become more lenient and accepting in, in regards to, to that plant, the, the, that piece of the conversation is just not has not been resolved. Like, let's no. Oh, so you're going to let us out resolved. of jail. <laughs> well, gee, thanks while you make trillions of dollars. You know what I mean? It's like, no, that that's uh, the, the war on drugs was devastating to the African-American community. Um, you know? And so the thought, the notion that, that, you know, all of a sudden, Oh, it's all good. And we'll just make all the money from it. Well, I just, you know, uh, that just bothers me. And so I'm looking at, uh, you know, I've got a company that I'm um, launching called blaze water which is, you know, a minority owned cannabis company um, that we're, that we're uh, launching here actually next month. And, um, you know, to create opportunities for people of, of, of all, you know, races really, but primarily people who um, have committed nonviolent drug offenses. I want to create jobs for them. Like uh, the VP of the company is uh, uh, a person who's an ex-convict who was incarcerated for selling weed. Uh, and 
you know, he, he's been, he's been out and he's not been in any, any other trouble as nonviolent crimes. And so, you know, he should have opportunities just like anybody else is the way I look at it. And so, um, you know, we can, we need to create more vehicles for that um, because the, the people get out of jail, they don't, they have these records, no one will hire them. And so then they're forced to go back and do crime and then they end up back in the same situation. And that's got to stop. Like, I feel like, if you've done your, you paid your debt to society or whatever, then you get out. You should, there should be opportunities for you. Um, you know, if it's nonviolent, especially. Um, and so, so I'm passionate about that, the cannabis space for sure. And then the other, of course, is music, but that's just cause that's, you know, my background and I, I love that. It's like toys, building toys for me. So, well, let me ask you both in that regard though. Um, what what's interesting in music right now from a um from an entrepreneurial point of view you know i, I was talking to somebody else um i believe in one of these recordings about how um you know there's always this notion that we've reached the end of music you know um the cd and then the download and then streaming and like we've we, we've reached the final format and there's not going to be anything else we're finally there um and that's just in the you know the consumption and playback of music um, but AJ, earlier you talked about you know the the real paradigm shift from hardware into into software tools for creators. Um, what what kind of music opportunity would have to walk across your desk to be really interesting? Um, well, that's hard to say. The, the music equipment industry, I'll just say it. I'll probably might probably piss off a lot of people, but I don't care. Um, is boring as hell right now to me. <laughs> it's been boring since the Beat Kangs left the scene put it that way. It's all, it, you know, it's just, it's just boring. Everybody's, you know, they, they're, they, and, and the reason why I feel like that is, and a big thing that made us different when we were doing it is that we were actually beat makers. We were actually hip hop people. We actually went to ciphers. We went to concerts. We went to festivals. Like we were in the scene, whereas like, you know, it, as opposed to, you know, these corporate CEOs uh, sitting up in their ivory towers, you know, say oh what, what what do we think the kids are like oh let's put trap music on it and just put it out there but it sounds nothing like what it's supposed to sound like you know what i mean and, and it's just like i don't know the music equipment industry is boring right now that's partly reason part of part of the reason why i'm stepping back into it because i plan to shake things up but um <clears throat> in terms of the next format and what's coming um the virtual space is probably the next frontier um, for music, music consumption, music creation, things like that. Like virtual reality is coming and it's, you know, it's, it's getting very close to being, um, you know, mainstream with the things that Facebook is doing with Oculus and, you know, Microsoft is doing with HoloLens. And I think ultimately at some point that will be um, a way that, fans can connect in new creative ways with, um, you know, their, their, the artists and the, the labels and stuff. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to create a whole new wave of, of, of innovation, I think in that space. Yeah. yeah I, I actually, I appreciate you, you raising that point because for me, you know, uh, as a, as a music fan of a certain age, um, that's that format's not for me or it's not for me yet. Right. And so I forget that it exists. And I'm reminded when, um, you know, my teenage son, um, he saved up his money, bought an Oculus. And like he, he said to me, he's like, this isn't the be all end all virtual reality, dad. It's like, but 
for a couple of hundred bucks, it's pretty damn good. And the next version and the version after that's going to be amazing. So like, exactly. it's coming. Yeah, I think you're We're right. We're just at the beginning of it. It's really just the beginning of it. But the music equipment industry has got to start including the people who make the music into the designing of products that are used to make the music. Uh, you Seems know, a no-brainer. <laughs> you would think, right? You would think, but oftentimes it's just not the case, right? It's just not the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you guys spending some time with me. These are what I like to call expensive phone calls because I know uh, you're both, uh, your time's valuable. And uh, I appreciate you taking time to talk about what you're up to and the mission. And um, I, I really admire what you're up to. And uh, I hope you guys see a lot of success with it. Um, in the multiple ways that success can be defined. Um, but it's great to, it's great to see what you're endeavoring to do. And uh, thank you. Well, thanks for having us on. I, I want to say one more little thing before we get out of here. And is that, you know, though we may not have the time to invest significantly in every idea that comes across our desk, if we can help, if, if, if you are a listener out there and you've got a killer idea um, you know, we, we're happy to hear it. And, um, you know, even if we can't invest a whole lot of time and energy in, in helping you bring it to, to the market, if we can help you do something, we will. And I think that's where all of our hearts are in this project, you know, without any strings attached, right? Like if there's someone we could introduce somebody to that would be beneficial to that person that we thought, you know, even if we don't take it on as an incubate next project, I think we would still be, you know, we're still open to helping anybody who's trying to better themselves as best we can. Yeah. I appreciate that sentiment. Well, AJ and Paul, thank you. Thank you, Lawrence. We really appreciate you having us. Thanks. Stay safe. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul, AJ, and the team at Incubate Next. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, and even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. Join us again next week, and in the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. Stay in touch.